So, Boyd, I'd say we did pretty well last week. Yeah, it's it's been a great response thus far. I think we were uh, over 400 listens for the first episode of The Predator Way, and certainly it's very exciting to see the response thus far and, and see how people are reacting to it. So here we are again. So I guess we have to record another one. It's time for... The Predator Way Podcast with your hosts... Peyton Turnage. Back in, he scores! And Boyd Farish. What a goal! The show starts now. Yes, sir! And welcome to episode two of The Predator Way on Penalty Box Radio. I'm Peyton Turnage, play-by-play announcer for Penalty Box Radio, joined once again by Boyd Farish, feature writer for Penalty Box Radio. And this is episode two, well, really, episode two and a half. Boyd and I recorded a full episode Monday night. And let's just say that the technology was not on our side. But that's okay, Boyd, because our episode became immediately obsolete. So here we are, fresh start on a Thursday night getting ready for the Saturday preseason tilt. Yeah, that's right. That's that's the one challenge of the preseason is things change very quickly, and maybe it was just the uh, hockey god's way of saying you have more to talk about, so wait a couple days. Well, as it stands right now, the Predators are one game away from finishing off the preseason. They stand at 3-2. and two. It all started off with a pair of losses against the Florida Panthers. That was back when the squad was pretty broad before we started getting some cuts. Then two very decisive wins over the Tampa Bay Lightning, 6-2 and 6-1. And then most recently, Tuesday, October the 5th, a 3-2 grinded out overtime win over the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, Boyd, I was telling you Monday night that I'm guilty. I haven't really watched much of the preseason. But you actually got to attend that 6-1 game on Saturday. What did you see out of the Predators that night? Yeah, it was a great experience. I mean, first and foremost, just fun to be back in Bridgestone Arena watching hockey, chanting after goals, and helpful that we had a lot of them. So there was a lot of chanting. You know, they they came out firing. Certainly helpful that they were playing against a Tampa Bay Lightning that I think iced three NHLers. So there were certainly um, a bit of an unbalanced level of competition, but... Just great to see the team flying around, seeing that Forsberg, Johansson, and Duchesne top line spending time together. So it was just a fun night all around. And there were a number of storylines going into that game and really coming out of it as well. I think the main one from that night in particular was we had Roman Yossi penciled in on that first pair, of course, but on his right side was supposed to be Alexander Carrier. They actually put Dante Fabro next to Yossi and put Carrier on the third pair. Did you notice anything different there with that defense combo? I don't know if I'd say anything different per se, just that Fabro looks strong. He made a number of nice plays defensively, breaking up rush attempts, turning pucks over at the blue line and restarting offense going the other way, and then also made a couple of very nice seam passes up through the middle to, to spring forwards breaking out, so... Overall, I, th- I thought he looked really strong. Yeah, Fabro's a guy that a lot of fans have been kind of down on since he was placed in the spot to replace, essentially replace P.K. Subban. And it seems like he's really worked hard in the summer and, and tried to live up to his new contract and to live up to people's lofty expectations. So there was that. And then we saw some line shuffling and, and John Ines really looking to experiment, mainly with the youth. And we saw a line of Ellie Tolvanen, Cody Glass, and Philip Tomasino. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that line and how they work together. We did hear Hines say a few times after the game that he would like to have seen more out of them. But, you know, I think that was a very interesting deployment with the youth. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, it was certainly great to see and and just sort of great to see the Predators, you know, even in the preseason, sort of embracing that youthful talent and giving them a chance to work together and, and sort of see what's there. I mean, I think it's certainly too early to draw any real conclusions out of it. Coach Hines wasn't wrong. They did not generate a whole lot in terms of offense in that game. They, they probably did a little bit more after they were split up. But as a good first attempt, they certainly weren't a detriment. You would just like to see 
that young talent create a little bit more positive attack going forward. And speaking of line combinations, one line in particular that a lot of people thought would eventually play together, we saw it a little bit in the playoffs. Now we're starting to see it quite a bit in the preseason. And I guess it's only fair because they make the most money. But we saw the line of Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, and Matt Duchesne because mainly they've been trying their hardest to find a fit for Matt Duchesne in this lineup. We know he's still talented. I think he, as well, kind of like Fabro, really worked hard over the offseason to work on you know, whatever it was he needed. Something's always been missing with Matt Duchesne since he joined the Predators. And then he gets on this top line with Forsberg and Johansson. They started to make a difference, and they were really effective, I thought, in that Tuesday game against Carolina, Boyd. Absolutely. They looked dynamic. They were easily the best forward line for the Predators in a game that especially against Carolina, they largely got folded in half as a team overall. But they've looked like the right complementary set of skill sets that I think most of the fan base and and probably the coaching staff as well looked at them and thought that they could be. With Forsberg being more of the power forward, drives the net, Johansson really being the distributor, and Matt Duchesne being kind of the, the speed who can really pressure the defense, turn pucks over, and make a lot of plays himself. So I think there's some real positive momentum for that line going into the regular season. Visually, have you noticed anything different with Matt Duchesne? He's flying. It's certainly, I don't think, has ever been a question of of effort. So maybe there's a bit more comfort in the systems put in place by the uh, Predator staff. But I think that comfort may be leading to him just really just being able to pick up the pace of his game, feel more comfortable making plays, and just really be able to get out there and and use his skill sets. And that line was responsible for both Predators' goals in regulation against Carolina. That line opened the scoring very early on. I mean, very, very early on as I look at it. 27 seconds into the game, Ryan Johansson assisted by Matthew Shane and Philip Forsberg. And then you fast forward to the early stage of the second period, and it was Duchesne from Yossi and Johansson. And finally... Not only does Matt Duchesne have someone to play with, but also Ryan Johansson. He's always been paired with Forsberg, but it was always a matter of who that guy on the right side was. Quite often it was Victor Arvidsson, but a lot of times they were trying to spread the wealth out too, cycling in guys like Cali Arncroke, Ellie Tolvanen. So hopefully this line really does stick together. And one last part of that line was Philip Forsberg actually assisting on the overtime goal by Philip Tomasino. So the youth movement is really getting going. And... We all expected Tomasino to be penciled in on that somewhere within the top nine on the forward group, and he really is making a difference in the preseason. That overtime goal was his second of the preseason. So you see him notching in two goals in the preseason, making it so far, not being cut yet. There's another guy that's stuck around this whole time. He's still on the roster, really showing his talents, his skill, had a couple of crazy goals in that game against Tampa Bay last week was Igor Afanasiev. Two absolute snipes within a minute of each other. Boy, like I said, he's still around. He's still challenging for a spot. And there's some veterans that might get squeezed out here. What do you think? He's looked great coming off of a really good junior season and then through the COVID-shortened season where the OHL wasn't playing, making his way over to the KHL and spending some time there. You can really see how that may have pushed his progression forward. His game looks more polished. I think he's probably matured a little bit more physically, grown into himself. But he looks fast. He looks comfortable, confident, playing physical. He's been killing penalties and certainly scoring goals and, and using the great shot that he has. Yeah, he's he's certainly pushing some players, probably putting a few different guys on notice that he's coming for a spot. I don't know if he'll get it for opening night, but... He's right there, ready to make that next step. Does it concern you at all that he was limited to only 11 minutes the other night? Not not necessarily. I, I don't know if I'd call that a concern. He's The coaching staff has to look at everybody and, and see what all the possibilities look like. I think we'll know a lot more here probably in the next 24 hours to see if he's going to be part of the lineup for Saturday's game. But you'd have to think he'll get one last audition to see if he can unseat someone going into opening night. But him still being waiver exempt actually almost makes it harder to push somebody out of a spot because it's easier for him to go down and not expose somebody else to waivers. And that might be what we end up seeing. He might be the last-minute cut, just as you say, just so you're not having to possibly lose another player through waivers, which we'll get into here in a second. And we'll also preview the preseason game against Carolina, which 
might be one of the more highly anticipated preseason games we've seen quite in a while, if not ever. Now, when we talked Monday night, and again, that's an episode that you folks will never hear. <laughs> this is definitely the takeover of that. At the time, five players had been put on waivers. The roster had been reduced to 28 players. Five were set to go to Milwaukee. The two biggest names were Frederick Allard and Rem Pitlick. And we talked about, like, oh, these guys, they'll, you know, they'll just adjust in Milwaukee and we'll see them later on. Well, lo and behold, boy, the next day, Rem Pitlick gets claimed off waivers by Minnesota, which I think shocked and really stunned a lot of Predators fans. My take on it was he wasn't going to make opening night roster anyway, but it's not the Predators that took the hit. It was Milwaukee that took a major hit out of this. Yeah, I think it's it's a hit for the organization overall. Certainly, Pitlick is a player that they had spent a pretty significant amount of time growing. had shown a lot of promise. If he wasn't a top-level prospect, he was still really looking like a surefire NHL player at some point. Even though he wasn't going to make the roster, yeah, you, you certainly would have hoped you could have slipped him through waivers. I think my biggest issue with the way it was handled was... Why now? Why earlier this week? There's still at least another round of cuts pretty much across the league. And as a result, teams still have a lot of roster flexibility. So why put him out there now when there's more capability for teams to try to claim him and maybe move another piece out? As opposed to really waiting till that final cut down day where there's so many players going on waivers and rosters are largely set, you're less likely to see teams take a chance on a player that they don't know. And at the same time, a player like Michael McCarron, who we pretty much would all agree is not an NHL player, certainly not a regular one, who is also waivers eligible, is still on the roster right now. And I just don't understand why the team felt that earlier this week was the right time to try to push him through waivers and get him down to Milwaukee. Yeah, there are four players that pinned as guys that are on the bubble, and two of them seem pretty obvious. Michael McCarron, who you said is waivers eligible, and then as much as Predators fans would love for him to be a, a regular in the lineup, you could have sent down Matthew Olivier and not had to force the squeeze-out situation. So, like you say, maybe it should not have happened earlier this week, but you, you are pretty confident, I want to get confirmation from you, you are pretty confident that had the Predators put him on waivers, let's say the end of Saturday night, maybe he could have slipped through unclaimed. Certainly more confident than when they did do it, which is with another almost a full week left in the preseason when teams just have more flexibility to make moves. So there was that, and then quite a number of players were sent down in Milwaukee outright without having to go through waivers. One of them, and this is another huge shock, and a guy that I think we both had penciled in on that third defense pair for opening night was David Ference. How surprised were you by this, and where does this team go now, having sent him down? I would say I was mildly surprised. I mean, again, you know, maybe it's timing as much as anything else. What Ference really faces at this point is there's just a logjam on the left side between Yossi, Ekholm, Borvietsky, Harper, and Davies, who's still in camp two, who has had a tremendous training camp. He looks seriously improved. And yeah, you've been very high on him. Yes, yeah, I'm. Yeah, I am. I love the way Davies plays, especially with the puck on his stick. I think he's improved defensively. So as a result, for Ferentz being waivers exempt, I think he was just sort of the easiest player to push down, especially earlier in the process. He would still, in my mind, though, be one of the first players to come up, whether there's a trade, another waivers move, an injury, what have you, he would be one of the first to come up. And at this point, he's just the easiest to move back and forth. So we're getting close to nitty-gritty time. The Predators have to have their full 23-man roster submitted basically by midnight Saturday night after the Carolina game. And again, right now they're at 28. 16 forwards, 9 defensemen, 3 goaltenders, which, of course, I think we've got a pretty good idea out of the three of Riddick, Ingram, and Soros, that Connor Ingram's going to be the one sent down to Milwaukee. But it gets interesting here, Boyd. The Predators have some tough choices. Do they go down to 13 forwards and 8 defensemen, or 14 forwards and 7 defensemen? And I'm just curious who you think is on the bubble right now, who you think will most likely be squeezed out, and what roster deployment the Preds end up going with. 
Yeah, based on when, on where things stand today, I think it'll probably be 13 forwards and 8 defensemen. Just given, if you kind of go down either side, and let's, let's assume for a moment that Jeremy Davies is sort of the last man out. Down the right side, there's Carrier. He's pretty much a lock. Fabro, he's pretty much a lock. Myers is pretty much a lock. And Matt Benning has been a very solid depth defenseman in his time in Nashville. That's four right there. And then looking down the left side, you've got Yossi, Ekholm, Borvietsky, and Harper. And Borvietsky is, is back, and he seems to have made some significant strides in his life, which is phenomenal to see. And he looked pretty solid when I saw him play on Saturday. He looked more confident, quicker, certainly the physical player he's always been. And that leaves Ben Harper, who, for whatever reason, the Predators like to keep him around. Just adding those up, it sort of just looks like eight defensemen is going to be where they'll start the season. So who do you think ends up being the odd man out, ultimately? Defensively, I think it'll be Jeremy Davies. Among the forward lines, I think they will probably end up sending Afanasiev down. As much as I'd love to see him stay up for opening night, his waiver eligibility will probably just make that decision too easy at the start. After that, Michael McCarron is probably the next easiest choice. While I think he's actually had a pretty good preseason, he probably works better as a veteran presence in Milwaukee. The final cut... I might say Rocco Grimaldi. And it's not for anything that he's done wrong. He's still been a useful player. I just think numbers game, he's just sort of the odd man out at this point. And you would take him out over Matthew Olivier? I think the Predators love themselves some Matthew Olivier. And if they're going to, as we've seen a few times through this preseason, if they're going to give Tanner Janot an opportunity higher in the lineup ostensibly on the third line instead of the fourth line. Matthew Olivier is that natural fit to slip into that fourth line role with Yakov Shrenin and Colton Sissons. It's funny you bring up Juneau because I told you my list of players I thought was on the bubble the other night, and I'm not sure why, but I did place Tanner Juneau on there, and you were very quick to correct me saying there's absolutely no way the Predators would send down Juneau. <laughs> um, I tend to agree with you. Maybe you send down Olivier just because you can, you still hang on to Grimaldi. Yeah, I'm just like you. I love Rocco Grimaldi. He's a nice player, and I always thought he was a poor man's Victor Arvidsson. But overall, with this team, how they're built and the direction they're going, it just doesn't seem like he's going to be fitting in much longer. I would say the same for Nick Cousins, who actually hasn't played half bad through the preseason as well. Now, when we go back to the defense, you're only saying Ben Harper will stick around only because of necessity, right? So that he doesn't have to go through waivers. Is that your thinking there? I don't even think it's that. I just think it's this organization has an affinity for him the, the same way they did for a while with Jared Tenorti. <sighs> I just don't understand it. And there's just something about big, gritty defensemen on the third pair that just gets the Predators hockey ops department all all excited. I just think it'll be they won't be able to help themselves and they'll just keep him around. I probably shouldn't name drop here, and I'm, I hope I'm not implicating the guy, but I tweeted about him earlier in the summer, <laughs> and Steve Dangle sent me a DM saying, oh my god, this guy was the worst Marley. He's still on the Preds. <laughs> not, not just still on the Preds, but has played significant minutes, including in the playoffs. <sighs> I just don't get it. He was a left-handed Eric Branson. Stone hands, heavy feet, and... He gets extended in the summer. But, I mean, I guess good for him. Yeah, and it's frustrating because I look at most specifically Jeremy Davies sort of being in a similar place in the lineup, although being incredibly different players. And Davies has had a great camp. If anybody's earned a spot, it's him. It is certainly worthy of a bit of side-eye if the Predators organization goes the route that we sort of expect them to. And they lean into keeping Harper on that depth left side on the NHL roster. Let me ask you this. If you were John Hines, and let's say, forget about waivers, forget about all that stuff, would you have Jeremy Davies on your opening night roster? Based on the performance in the preseason? Yes. I think he Would you have him first unit power play? Just kidding. (laughs) 
don't 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 tempt me to say something super hot takey. <laughs> McKinnon tries to split. Set back to the empty net. Well, speaking of extending players this summer, like the Predators did with Ben Harper, they did not quite extend Philip Forsberg and Matthias Ekholm, who both have one year left on their deals. Ekholm was the subject of trade rumors throughout almost the entirety of the 2021 season. At one point, he was number one on TSN's trade bait. Now, there's been quite a bit coming out, and it's pretty natural. You would expect this with the season about to get underway. Some questions about whether or not players like Philip Forsberg and Matthias Ekholm want to re-sign with the Predators. And Forsberg actually had some pretty interesting quotes. He talked about just wanting to play out his contract, and then we'll see. His quote, To be honest, I haven't barely thought about it. The only thing that's been on my mind has been this ice testing we just did. Thankfully, that's over, and we can go to work for real. He goes on to say, I have high expectations. Obviously, there's been some changes this offseason, but the guys that we brought in through trades and free agency have seen them play with their previous teams, and through pre-camp here, we've been skating together, and I'm really excited. It's going to be a fun season. So he's sort of almost deflecting, I guess, to say, and he's not really saying much, and I think a lot of fans think he might be a little bit perturbed because of the Victor Arvidsson trade and maybe the potential of what they may do in the future. I'm not quite panicking over this. I, I'm just I'm just curious what you're thinking about, what your thoughts are on, on this one, Boyd. Yeah, I mean, you, you'd obviously prefer to see his comments be a little more aligned with what we've heard from Matthias Ekholm about, I really want to stay. I've, if we had the right contract, I would have signed it yesterday. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm not panicking yet. Even if the team gets off to a rough start, I think Forsberg, from his comments, I think he fully understands where the team is today. So, you know, I, I think it's a case of if he sees these young players, has a chance to play with them some, kind of sees what they're capable of, see how the how the future might be shaping up, even if the team takes a step back record-wise, which we sort of expect them to do, I, I don't think that's necessarily a total negative, meaning he's going to leave. But... It certainly gives a little pause that if it gets to that point where it's near the trade deadline and you don't have a firm grasp of where he's leaning, that's really looking at having to make a tough decision. And it is a tough decision looking to extend guys that are either at or maybe slightly past their prime. Forsberg is 27 years old. Ekholm is 31. Both guys you got to think are going to possibly be a major factor on Team Sweden in the Olympics. And it's just a matter of how long you extend. If you trade one or both, of course, you could get a pretty big haul in return. And I would argue that the Predators really need that right th- right now. With the cupboard, as David Poyle likes to say, it's pretty bare. But you actually were alluding to this in the show notes. And I was wondering what you, what you were able to see on this. You're saying that uh, there have been some reports on lack of progress with Ekholm. What were you seeing on that? Yeah, that was um, on TSN's Insider Trading. The subject of Matthias Ekholm came up, and basically they've they've been working towards an extension. You know, certainly haven't got there yet, but I think the word from Ekholm's camp, so ostensibly from his agent, is that if they get to the regular season without an extension, Matthias doesn't want to have negotiations during the season. And there's a certain amount of agent speak involved there that if the Predator has called his agent back and said on November 1st and said, okay, here's the exact contract you want. I don't think he's going to sit there and say, no, don't take it. But, you know, it's it's enough to at least give a little bit of pause in terms of where is this going and are they really making progress towards really getting it done? So like we mentioned, the final Predators preseason game is this Saturday against Carolina. We hope to have this out before then. If not, well, then you know what has happened. Boyd, are you going to that game? Not this one. Um, I was able to go go last Saturday, take my daughter with me for an early birthday present, which, which was great. You know, this one, I'm going to stay home with the family, watch it on a Saturday afternoon. It'll be a fun time. Yeah, it's actually televised this time. Now, the first game against Carolina this week, or on Tuesday in Carolina, was broadcasted on Bally's South, and that was kind of interesting because you had Carolina's play-by-play guy 
with Chris Mason, the Predators analyst. That seemed to be a, a pretty interesting dynamic there. But I do plan on going to the Saturday game. The only problem is I don't have anybody to go with me. So stay tuned. I guess we'll see whether or not uh, I end up going to that. One last note on the Predators before we get into our hopes and fears for this season was we learned on Monday, boy, that Todd Richards had suffered a heart attack last Friday, and you and I were both pretty concerned for him. But it came out today that he's been excelling in his recovery, and he actually plans to be on on the bench on opening night. What a trooper. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly great news. I mean, obviously, a heart attack is no joke. It's something to be taken very seriously, so... Our thoughts and prayers are with him and his family as he continues to recover. And hopefully all of the positivity we've seen thus far will keep going. And he'll be back on the bench before we know it. All right, now it's time to get into the psyche of both Boyd Farish and Peyton Turnage going into this Nashville Predators season 2021 and 2022 we're going to get into our hopes and fears leading into the season. Boyd, let's start off positive. What's your greatest hope for this season? Well, I mean, as as the Predators are moving into this youth movement, competitive rebuild, etc., at the end of the day, especially if, if they're going to look to re-sign Ekholm or Forsberg or both of them, they've cleared some cap space, but that could get eaten up pretty quickly. And really my hope for this year is... David Poyle is able to find a landing spot for one of Ryan Johansson or Matt Duchesne. And it's not a knock on, on either player specifically or, or either person. I don't think either one of them wants out per se. But as this team looks towards the future and continues to elevate some of this younger talent, I think just to make space for them to happen both on the cap ledger, but probably more importantly in the lineup, there's really going to have to be work done to find a landing spot for one of those players and move one of those contracts out. And you might get your wish. Now, this is far and away a pipe dream, and a lot of things have to happen during and after, but it came out today that there was an insider saying that one of the hangups with the Jack Eichel trade is that they're having a hard time staying at the salary floor, and if they trade Eichel, that is $10 million going away. And they would have to get at least eight or eight and a half million dollars coming back the other way. Well, who's in that situation? Who, yeah. who can provide relief in that form? I wonder what team might just happen to have two eight million dollar centers sitting around, mm-hmm. where at least one of them might be tradable. I mean, God, how 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 crazy would that be? I mean, even if the Predators would likely put Ike on LTIR and he'd probably sit out the entire season, but. Oh, I mean, if, if old Blockbuster Poyle came back and pulled that off, that would be something. Hey, Vanderbilt's a good place to get surgery. <laughs> One of the best. You know, it's anything's possible. And, of course, there is the human side of this, and a lot has come out this week from the players, especially Robin Lanner, about Jack Eichel. And that's one thing that it just feels like he's been treated as a pawn this whole time. No one has looked at him as a human. Let's not forget, this guy has... You know, a busted disc in his neck, and he's having to live constantly with the pain of that while he's waiting on the surgery, which, again, the hang-up is that he wants the cervical disc replacement while the Sabres want the spinal fusion surgery. And I tend to lead, lean more on the disc replacement because fusion really takes away a lot of mobility in the neck. Now, as we're talking, again, this is more of a Predators podcast of so as it stands at the moment, Michael's not traded. It's sort of neither here nor there. But if we are going to go back to the hockey side of this, it is a shame that more than likely he's not going to be on Team USA at the Olympics. I would say it's almost impossible that he would be ready for the Olympics. Maybe if he'd been able to get the surgery back in July, he would have been close. Like maybe they would have kept him on the reserve list to see if he was if he was able to be there, but. Yeah, at this point, there's almost no chance. So that's your greatest hope for the season is the Predators will find a landing spot for one of either Ryan Johansson or Matthew Shane. I'll quickly break this down. Which one would you rather go out the door? Probably Duchesne, if only for just contract reasons. He's older with more years on his contract. So as 
we continue to keep kind of the future vision on this Predators team, that's probably the more the more necessity to move that contract. Though, for the exact opposite reasons, even though they have basically the same contract, Johansson might be easier to move as a younger player with less years on his contract. I'll say my greatest hope for the season is that the youth movement really does take off. We saw somewhat of a forced youth movement last season with a ton of injuries in the lineup, but that's my hope. You've committed to this competitive rebuild, so you want to see guys like Philip Tomasino, Alexander Carrier, Cody Glass, maybe at some point Igor Afanasiev step up and take that next step and encourage the Predators to keep going with these younger guys. Maybe they do acquire some younger assets and build for the future. You've already committed yourself to it. You don't want to spend prospects and draft picks like a drunken sailor yet again and bring this team further down from where they already are now and back into mediocrity, so to speak. Yeah, you're right. They've, so they've, with the, they've laid out a plan. They just they need to stick to it. Hopefully they do. So conversely, Boyd, what's your biggest fear going into the season? Well, honestly, you you just said it a minute ago. Is my probably biggest fear is the team starts off in a good way. They're maybe on the fringe of a playoff spot in sort of the end of January time space. And David Poyle just, just can't help himself and goes out and spends assets to bring in veteran players to make that playoff run. I think that would just be... Paul Gostad for a first. Oh, the a first and... Uh, uh, I can't even remember the name of the pro- uh, a first in Brendan Leipzig for uh, Cody Franzen and Mike Santarelli, <laughs> Ryan Hartman for Wayne Simmons. Yeah, there's there's some less than beautiful trades that have uh, that have taken place there, and that's that's really the fear is the Predators are in a competitive position. The fear isn't that the Predators are in a competitive position, but that it drives Poyle to go make another trade to bring in another veteran player. And I think my biggest fear going into the season is that guys like Philip Myers and Cody Glass don't work out. It seems like this team is very dependent on them. I mean, they they moved out Ryan Ellis to get these two guys. So you've made the investment. They've got a hit, or this is really going to be a black mark on the organization. So I think the least you can ask from Philip Myers is that he – at the very least, is steady, let's say, in a third-pair role. He's got size. From what I've seen, he can play power play. Yeah, he's, again, he's a pretty decent skater, and he's got a big shot. And you've let go of a cannon and one of the best leaders your organization has had to acquire a guy like him. And, of course, like we mentioned, Cody Glass, who we think will be probably the third-line center, can play second-line, and who knows? He develops some matures, maybe he's first-line. He's battled some some injury issues. He was kind of squeezed out in Vegas just because of the situation there and the talent around. And so he just wasn't quite a fit. Hopefully he can make that next step with the Predators. But like I said, if he doesn't, that's really going to set the team back for the future. Yeah, so, I mean, and we haven't really talked about Cody Glass yet. Um, after watching him in person, I actually I, I really like some of the little things that he does. He operates very well in tight spaces, in part because he he does have some size, so he can hold his own pretty well. There was a moment early in the game last Saturday where he was working behind the net or below the goal line, had his back to the rest of the ice, managed to get the puck and just flipped this kind of backhand blind pass into the slot right on Luke Cunnett's stick. It was just a beautiful play and it, there was a great save I think it was Brian Elliott playing goal had to make a great save to stop a really great a chance and if those are the kind of plays that that Cody Glass can make there are some other guys on this Predators roster that can really shoot the puck and if they're getting in those areas there, there's some real opportunities to uh, score some goals that way now we've hit on our greatest hopes and greatest fears give me one bold prediction you think will happen this season Staying on the bold front, and we, we, we kind of touched on this earlier, if I'm thinking that way, it's it's that Forsberg gets traded. He's got an opportunity to go make a bunch of money on the open market. He has the possibility to get traded to a, a team that is a contender since his contract value, his cap hit, isn't actually that high. If the Predators just 
don't have a good feel for where he's at, you've got to make the move. And it would be a huge loss for the roster. It would pretty much put the rebuild in full swing. But if that's where things are trending for a team that is pretty broadly expected to be not very good, then you have to make the move and and you have to, to get those assets back. My bold prediction. Now, I was watching the NHL Network the other day, and they were talking about players that were overdue for a bounce back. And they had five guys listed. The two biggest ones were Eric Carlson and Matt Duchesne. And what they said about Matt Duchesne was that they think he will bounce back to 50 points this season. I'm going to go a step beyond that, and I think he's going to score somewhere between 20 to 25 goals. I think we're really going to see the Matt Duchesne that, quote-unquote, that we're paying for. I think he is going to fit in better on that line with Johansson and Forsberg and really come back this year. Now, I say between 20 to 25, I can't really mentally commit to one number or the other. But again, I think if he hits somewhere in between, we've already seen quite enough there. Absolutely. And it shouldn't be lost in the conversation that the reason why a lot of people are positive on Duchesne improving is that he did a lot of good things last year. You could look at some of his underlying stats and and kind of watch some of his highlight reel, which maybe didn't have a lot of goals on the end of it, but he was creating chances. He was doing the right things and just, it wasn't going in for him. So if that turns around a little bit, there's some real opportunity that he could move forward in a, in a pretty significant way. I mean, just looking at his shooting totals last year, I mean, he's a career 12.5% shooter and he shot 8.2% last year. That feels sort of unsustainably low and there might be some better things ahead. All right, let's get into spot on, spot off. You all seem to enjoy that last time. I think we're going to keep that as a recurring theme, even if I am ripping off another podcast. Oh, well. All right, spot on, spot off. The annual athletic NHL broadcast rankings came out this week, and the Nashville Predators were listed at 30th, falling from 21st last season. Now, a lot of their reasons have to do with the rebrand to Sinclair and Bally Sports with the graphics and whatnot, and... Which, ironically, are completely out of control of anybody in Nashville. (laughs) Exactly. And there's a couple of quotes here saying that they think that both Willie Donick and Chris Mason are slanted and biased, which was kind of strange to hear. So, I mean, spot on, spot off. They work for the organization. Of course they are. (laughs) They're they're literally paid to be. Let me find the, the quote on Chris Mason real quick. Well, while, you, while you're looking, I mean, I, w- I would kind of say spot off. The stuff about Bally and the stuff about Sinclair not being available to streaming platforms is entirely not the responsibility of the Predators. They have very, very little control over any of that. And while Willie Donick and Chris Mason catch some flack... And they're homerish. They're not like hot take homerish like you see with Jack Edwards in Boston. Would I rank them in the middle of the road somewhere? Probably. Would I put them at the bottom of the league? I don't think so. Well, here's the quote. It says, Mason is viewed as a bit of a homer, which frankly is a shtick he's not interested in dropping. Another quote here says, would love to see some actual analytics. They are incapable of being critical of the Preds, which is so annoying. And this is the bottom line is the Preds likely take too much heat because of the Bally Sports situation. Preds broadcast is Predators slanted, which really shouldn't surprise anyone. And to your point about Jack Edwards, guess who finished 31st in the poll? <laughs> was it Boston? It was the Boston Bruins. <laughs> That's fantastic. For the second year in a row, 31st nationally, and 31st last season, 31st this season. Now, again, I agree with you. Predators broadcast is about middle of the road. Willie Donick, I think, is not a very well-known announcer. He is still relatively new in that role. Same for Chris Mason in the analyst position. I think what it boils down to is they had to pick somewhere for the Predators to be, and none of their personalities are that well-known across the league. But still... To your point, I don't think they're overly biased. I still think about Boston. I think about Anaheim 
and how slanted they are and, frankly, how boring John Allers is at play-by-play. I also think about the Pittsburgh Penguins with Bob Airy, who's definitely one of the biggest homer analysts. So I'm not exactly buying the, the homer vibe. Oh, another one, the Colorado Avalanche. They are notoriously homerish, and yet they are at 23rd in this poll. Spot on, spot off. Two of the biggest RFA standoffs are now put to rest with the Minnesota Wild signing Kirill Kaprizov to a five-year, $9 million contract and the Canucks re-signing Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. Pettersson at three years, $7.35 million. Hughes at six years, $7.85 million. Boyd, spot on, spot off for these signings. I think you pretty much have to go spot on. You would like to have them done sooner. I think Minnesota did well to wrap that up and get Kaprizov in at the beginning of camp. Certainly Pedersen and Hughes are really only going to get about a week with the team that has some pretty significant new parts in uh, Connor Garland and Oliver ekman Larson. But at the end of the day, when you've got top-end players, and as long as they're not asking for something completely exorbitant, you do what you have to do to get those players signed and, and keep them in the organization. Especially when they're as young as these three players are. It's crucial to, to keep them around and keep them engaged and keep them playing. Well done to the organizations, even if it, uh, especially in Vancouver, took longer than probably everybody would have liked. But they got done, and it's it's time to move forward with it. And I agree. I think the Kaprizov contract was right on the money. I mean, you got to pay the guy what he's worth. He's quite possibly the best player Minnesota has ever seen in just one season of playing. And again, five years, $9 million, right on the money. Same for Pedersen and Hughes. I was surprised, though, that Pedersen actually got the lower cap hit than Hughes. It just seems like centermen are more highly valued than defensemen, especially on the left side. But again, it gets the job done, and Hughes is a huge stick around for Vancouver. If the cap ends up going up, that may end up being a much higher value contract than it looks right now. Yeah, I, I think in the case of, of Pedersen, it was a trade-off of term versus AAV. They went less years to get the AAV down to where Pedersen can sign another contract when he's 25 years old. And that will, <laughs> you know, that that one, assuming in another three years, things have cleared up and the cap goes back up. What's his worth going to be then? Nine, nine and a half? It was a worthwhile trade for Vancouver right now while they seem to have a window coming together, so to speak, but that one may cost them in the long run. Spot on, spot off. The Ottawa Senators have still not agreed to a contract with Brady Kachuk. So I'll sort of answer this both ways. I think for, for Brady Kachuk, I mean, it, it is kind of a spot on in, in terms of if you know your value and you know what you're asking for from the organization, then you stick to your guns to get it as long as you're not being unreasonable. And that seems to be what he's been doing. He comes from a family that has been through these negotiations, his brother Matthew pretty recently. So there's certainly some understanding of how all of this can play out. He's stuck to his guns about it. For the Senators, I mean, it it has to be spot off. Like, how can you not have found a way to get this done? And get basically the face of your franchise locked up and brought back in and they've got to work that out the senators actually have a pretty bright future but letting this situation get in the way of that would be a pretty big stain well not only that but they're below the salary floor so there's really no excuse to get this done (laughs) yeah exactly like they they literally need to sign him to a contract just to be able to be cap compliant Melnick gonna Melnick. It certainly seems that way. Lastly, spot on, spot off. Carey Price announced today that he's stepping away from the Canadians and is joining the NHL and NHLPA player assistance program. Boyd, spot on, spot off. It certainly has to be spot on. You certainly feel for for, for him and his family going through that. I, I think most people have seen Carey's wife put out a, a very thoughtful, heartfelt statement earlier as well. And whatever it is that he's going through, certainly the specifics are none of our business, but you love to see that players are recognizing the challenges that they're facing and seeking out the help to be able to deal with it. We've seen it earlier this summer, actually from last season with Jonathan Drouin. We also 
learned about it recently for The National Predators with Mark Borowiecki. And the more that players can treat these mental health situations with seriousness and care and openness, it just reduces the stigmas around mental health and makes finding the help that people need feel much more realistic and and much more approachable. I'm very much spot on too. I believe right now he's recovering from injury, so he was already needing some time and, and clearly that is a huge factor that's compounded on whatever may be going on and and so just take the time. Take the time to step away and and refocus and, and re energize and and hopefully there isn't anything horrible going on, but he's uh He's making the right steps, and, and I think it sets a huge precedent in the future for players to, to step up and do the right thing. There's there's nothing wrong in, in saying that you need help, and that's something that some good that's really come out, I think, in recent years, especially after COVID, that, hey, we're all going through a hard time, and it, it's not a problem at all uh, to say that you, you need to take a minute, step away, and refocus on your mental health. Yeah, I mean, as the phrase goes... It's okay to not be okay. As long as you can take the steps to be able to go and do something about it and find ways to improve your situation, then there's nothing but positives that can come from that. Much like what we ended the show with last time, what are you currently watching and listening to? Well, yeah. So, I mean, you you brought up a segment, the, uh, the the spot on spot off that you stole from a podcast, and well, we're stealing this one from another podcast. And ironically, the one that I'm listening to is the one that we're stealing this bit from. And away from hockey, I guess I'm, I'm a pretty big movie guy. Not hard to admit that you know I'm into the Marvel movies and the Star Wars stuff, and excited to see the Matrix Four later this year and all of that. But for being into movies, I've uh, found a podcast called uh, Beyond the Screenplay, where a group of people from the movie industry just sit down and talk about a movie, take a deep dive into the screenplay, and talk about you know the ways that it's usually positive. <laughs> sometimes they uh, sometimes they pick something that's not as not as good, and you get to hear why it's not so great. But you know, certainly there's some really interesting learning about what makes some of the really great movies, what went into making them something that we enjoy so much. So, you know, so certainly an, an interesting listen that comes out every Friday. Um, so what I'm listening to is uh, the podcast Beyond the Screenplay. What about you, Peyton? Well, it's funny. My friend Mallory suggested Crime Junkies to me, and it took me about 15 seconds to realize that it should be called Fear Mongering, the podcast. <laughs> So, needless to say, I didn't listen for very long, and I've already unfollowed it. Sorry, Mallory. As far as what I'm watching, you might like this. I have just recently started The Sopranos. Very nice. Very nice. That was a show that, growing up, I have some bad memories from, because on Sunday nights, I'd want to come in. I may have a question about homework or something, and I would get shushed if I disrupted my dad while he's watching Sopranos. So, (laughs) I've... It's taken me a while to forgive him, and lo and behold, life has become full circle. Well, Boyd... Right before we recorded, I finished my fantasy draft. I've taken about a three or four year hiatus off hockey, and I got Connor McDavid. I guess just go ahead and give me the trophy, right? That's what I've done a couple times now is go and find a way to get that number one pick, take Connor McDavid, and don't look back. It's good karma because there was one year where I picked Steven Stamkos. He was terrorizing the league, and then he broke his leg, and we never saw him again. So... I think this is good revenge. My friend Jordan Simony will tell you otherwise because there was one year where I lost to a team that had Cody McLeod on it. How is that even possible? 
I don't know, but I got ridiculed and I retired from fantasy hockey that week. As well you should have. As well I should have. Well, Boyd, like we mentioned, we hope to have this out before the final preseason game against Carolina. If that's not the case, well, you all are for the wiser and we are not. Then we're going to record again, hopefully on Sunday. By then we'll know the Predators' final roster and we'll also preview the standings for the upcoming season. As the season goes along, we're hoping to expand this. We're hoping to bring in some guests and your Twitter questions as well. So, Boyd, it's all looking up from here. Man, I can't wait. I, I love the beginning of hockey season. There, there's always so much excitement. Excited to get uh, back into Bridgestone. I'll be there for opening night. Uh, the uh, return of the boy, boy, Cali with the the Seattle Kraken. So that will... Uh, the boy, boy, Cali, though. <laughs> just... Marshawn Lynch is a national treasure. That was just too good. Um, yeah, I love the start of hockey season. I can't wait for it. So looking forward to recording the next one, looking at the opening night roster, and, and starting to see where we go from there. Now, Boyd, if someone's listening for the first time and happened upon the show, where can they follow us? All right, absolutely. So first and foremost, on your favorite podcast platform, Go and uh, rate and subscribe the Penalty Box Radio channel, where you can find the Predator Way and many other great hockey podcasts brought to you by the uh, content creators of Penalty Box Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at Boyd underscore 1212. And Peyton, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at Peyton underscore Turnage and on Instagram at LPatron. Also, El Patron on TikTok. Boyd, preseason's almost over. The season is right ahead of us. It's go time, baby. We're almost here. Let's do it. For Boyd Farish, I'm Peyton Turnage. We'll catch you next time.